Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior America. Steak. For breakfast. So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Steak and Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan, flying solo today. Noah's out of the office. He'll be back on Friday. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. We're going to jump right into our second all-new edition of the show today. Remember, if you're hearing this first on your autoplay, on whatever podcasting platform you're on, just jump ahead and uh, go back to the episode previous, and that'll be our first edition of the show today where we hosted the Center for Renewing America's Wade Miller and former Capitol Hill Chief of Staff Jim Paff. Great episode there. We touched on the weekend that was for Donald Trump. We're going to jump into what's going on on the U.S. southern border, including the ruling from SCOTUS yesterday, a 5-4 decision that sided with the Biden administration that says Texas does not have the right to defend itself from the migrant invasion. Uh, first clip we're going to look at, we're going to check in with uh, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who, when last we saw him, appeared on the Botox Queen show Laura Ingram, last Friday, with a message following some of the negotiations with Chuck Schumer in the White House. Let's check it out. Oh, the president, I looked right across the table from him in the cabinet uh, official's room, and I said, Mr. President, you have the authority right now to end this catastrophe. It's your actions that created it. In fact, Mr. President, I told him in the meeting today, we've documented 64 instances of you taking executive actions in your agencies that created this catastrophe. Mr. President, it's on you to unwind it. We don't need new laws. You could do it right now. I've cited to him, read him the legal authority on the phone on Thursday of last week that he could take. And you know what he said in the meeting, Laura? He said, we're ready to do big things on the border. Well, hallelujah, Mr. President. President Biden, do your job. Fix the catastrophe that you've created. It's an unspeakable humanitarian catastrophe. And you want to know what? As we've already heard from both Wade Miller and Jim Paff in our first edition of the show today, Mike Johnson is a great guy. He is a constitutional scholar as well, a man who walks in the light of Jesus Christ. However, when it comes to the transformational, the generational changes that are going to be required to get things done in the House of Representatives this session. Uh, it's still up for debate on whether or not he's going to be the man for the job when it comes to items related to the budget, when it comes to items related to the border. That's where history will eventually judge current Speaker Mike Johnson. So Joe Biden jumped out from the basement yesterday, which was Monday, and he was talking about some of these negotiations that are going on. And, and when you talk about negotiations, we're referencing, obviously, the Langford-Schumer border deal, which is DOA as far as America First goes in the House of Representatives. And that is solely because, listen, it's the pathway to amnesty. Uh, it's going to allow people to have pathway to legal permanent residentship. That's a green card. And what that does is after a certain amount of time or stipulations met, apply for U.S. citizenship. That's for as many as like 10 million people. They also want tens, if not hundreds of thousands of more work authorizations for people who are crossing the U.S. southern border now. That allows them to have solvency in the United States, maybe a Social Security number, um, the ability to collect paychecks and, and drive down the dollar, destroy the competitive wages gap, and, and in addition essentially ruin the blue-collar workforce as a lot of these non-skilled laborers and fighting-age males who are invading the U.S. southern border right now seem to represent from a lot of the reports. I've got two from Joey Basements right now. Let's jump right into this. I've been clear from the very beginning. The system is broken. My first day in office, I sent Congress a comprehensive plan on immigration reform. My friends on the other side have done nothing with that. Over and over, I've asked for resources to step up action at the border. 
In October, I asked Congress to fund uh, for funding that would add another 20 additional board, 22,000 additional oh, border oh, agents oh. and officers, hundreds of new immigration judges to oh. make the judgments on the spot, a new new detection equipment to stop fentanyl from coming into the country. Oh. And by the way, I've worked with China and Mexico to slow the flow of fentanyl in the United States as I speak. It's oh. way down. Oh. Oh. So let me be oh. clear. My team has been at the table for weeks now on a partisan, with a bipartisan group of senators oh. to negotiate a deal, including border, because I believe we need significant policy changes at the border, including changes in our asylum system to ensure that we have authorities we need to control the border. And I'm ready to act. I think, oh, God willing, and the creek not rising, as my grandpa would say, oh. you know, I think Scissor next week we'll be able to work out something, at least in the Senate. And I'm hopeful it's going to be the bipartisan package the Senate is going to pass, God willing. Now, the question is for the Speaker and the House Republicans. Are they ready to act as well? They have to choose whether they want to solve a problem or keep weaponizing the issue to score political points against the President. I'm ready to solve the problem. I really am. Massive changes. And I mean it sincerely. Oof. You know, whenever he talks about a bipartisan agreement that could potentially be done, Within the Senate, he's talking about the fact that, well, obviously Chuck Schumer is going to carry the water for this administration no matter what. He's just a grifting piece of shit who's made his legacy on, you know, doing whatever he can to screw over the American people and and push the agenda of these radicals who have been presidents on the Democrat side. In addition to that, you know, you have Mitch McConnell, who's number one, no fan of Donald Trump, number two, no fan of Donald Trump's border bills and, and legislation and part of Agenda 45 that had us see the safest and most secure border in the history of our republic. So when you talk about those immigration judges and the way that the Biden administration has collaborated with China and Mexico to stymie the flow of anything coming in, it's certainly not bodies. And for as overwhelmed as our brave men and women who serve down on the U.S. southern border have been, with the migrant invasion, there's no way that they can stop uh, even a small percentage of the drugs from coming in and getting into the hands of the American people. Joe Biden would, you know, continue to, throughout the course of his speaking event, discuss things in regards to border security or lack thereof, but it was in a hot mic moment that we were able to catch Joe Biden as he was answering a question from one of the press Kind of say that they're there, and that's that he knows the border is not secure. Let's check it out. No, it's not. I haven't believed this for the last 10 years, but I've said it for the last 10 years. Give me the money. Give me the money. After alluding to that, no, he doesn't think the border is secure, and he doesn't believe it has been for over the last 10 years. The more money that we send down to the U.S. southern border the faster the people who are illegally crossing it will be processed and dumped into the interior of the United States. That's what everybody needs to understand. And that's where we need to see Speaker Johnson really show some kind of a spine here in regards to, you know, exactly what happens when you don't stand up to the longstanding guard in D.C. It might not be the easiest path. It might not be the one that eventually keeps Mike Johnson as Speaker. But if he told us, like he did when he appeared several weeks ago on Fox and Friends with Republican House Chairwoman Elise Stefanik that border security is the hill that House Republicans are willing to die on. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see real fast if that's going to be 
the truth and the narrative that comes out once we get to whatever kind of agreement we decide on border security. And here's the deal. I don't think in any way, shape, or form we're going to have comprehensive border security, and I mean stopping the invasion that's going on during this session of Congress. I'd be really surprised if we could get there outside of a government shutdown where Republicans really don't have the chips in the game anymore. Um, in addition to that, you know, I, I think budgeting for things like the Department of Homeland Security outside of funding the entire government and then not funding DHS is one of the avenues that we really have to take a hard look at because Joe Biden doesn't fire anybody. And based off of the continuing resolution vote that happened last week up on Capitol Hill, which is now funding the government through the beginning of March, I don't know if we've got the numbers to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. It is going to take some Democrats to get that uh, House Republican-led initiative and eventual articles of impeachment off the launching pad and and stick. So not much of a shocker there as far as up to the minute, but what kind of did raise a lot of eyebrows yesterday was the announcement that came out that the Supreme Court had made a ruling on Joe Biden's lawsuit against the state of Texas, who essentially took over a little bit less than three miles of land on the U.S. southern border, on the southern tip of Texas, where they were getting destroyed with the amount of migrants and illegal aliens that were coming in there, and decided to take it over from the Department of Homeland Security and kick them out. The ruling broke in the evening across the news wires yesterday. Let's hear it as it did. Breaking news in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court says it will allow Border Patrol agents to remove razor wire installed by the state of Texas at the U.S.-Mexico border. The emergency request filed by the Biden administration argued that Texas was preventing Border Patrol from carrying out their duties. Again, breaking breaking news and Border Patrol will be allowed to cut down that razor wire, as you see right there. Breaking news. Oh! We won't take it any further than that. But but here's the thing. Obviously, all of the gals on the Supreme Court, in addition to John Roberts, no surprise there, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court voted in favor of the Biden administration's ruling. What was a little bit more of a shocker was that Amy Comey Barrett, a Trump-appointed Supreme Court justice who had done some good things up to this point, uh, but at the same time, when it comes to immigration, we knew she was a little bit of a squish on sided with the Biden administration's lawsuit and now has allowed the Republicans to kind of lose their narrative in regards to border security. If they're going to go on all the cable news shows and promote it, if they're going to go on all the cable news shows and harp about it, if they're going to rail on Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas and the job that they're not doing, which is all completely legitimate, but the Supreme Court has made at least a preliminary ruling on this case, which essentially says that, you know, Texas state troopers and marshals and DPS and and local law enforcement can't take over areas of the border that have essentially belonged to the federal government and institute new kinds of border security outside of what the laws on the books are, which consequently and very ironically, the Biden administration doesn't want to adhere to. You know, they line this almost two-mile strip on, on the river with shipping containers that have razor wire on top of them. They've got boats patrolling the water, etc. So, you know, that's kind of the way it shook out. I saw Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt. He jumped on, uh, I guess, Zoom from his own congressional office yesterday. He made a post, which appeared on X, formerly Twitter, talking about the ruling, its importance, and, and what's going on down on the U.S. southern border. Let's hear him. 
Joe Biden and his administration just wanted the Supreme Court today to prevent Texas from securing the border. Yeah, you heard that right, to prevent Texas from securing the border. And in these negotiations on a border security package, we're now supposed to trust this same administration to actually secure the border. This is nuts. Uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats are not interested in securing the border. They're an open borders party, and we should just believe them when they say it. You know, and although he makes some good points, now the Biden administration could go out and whenever they're talking about Republicans' reluctancy to commit to anything to do with border security, be like, you know, we're trying to do the best we can. We understand that it's a problem. It's a longstanding one that Congress should have addressed decades ago but hasn't. Um, But when you look at the recent rulings from the Supreme Court as early as this week, it seems like they're in favor of us being able to handle it in the way we're kind of managing it up to this point, which I think is complete and total horseshit. But you know, that's the way that these radical progressive regimes work. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what platform it's on, hopefully it's Apple Podcast, but we're also on Google, Spotify, and iHeartRadio as well. Make sure you're following or subscribe to the Steak for Records podcast. Helps us out in so many different ways. Massages the algorithms. Make us more present in the suggestions for political podcasts and political podcasts that have commentary. In addition to that, Apple Top 100. We're shooting up the the numbers here. Every time a new show drops, we we seem to get a little bit of a surge. We appreciate all of the new listenership and uh, are very honored to be allowed to change the way you consume your news outside of what you're hearing just about everywhere else. In addition, on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, hit the notification bell, never miss out on anything that's going on on the show, including the... Big headlines we're covering, the commentary we're providing on such, and always our America First slate of guests that are coming through the show. I want to remind everybody also we're going to be sitting down with Virginia representative, member of the Freedom Caucus, Appropriation Committee, uh, House Budgetary Committee, and the Judiciary Committee, Mr. Ben Klein, in just a few minutes here. I've got one more clip. Obviously, you know KJP and John Kirby are going to be out trying to deflect for the administration. You know, as uh, this kind of continues to spiral out of control, I wish there was a better way to frame it for you guys. But, you know, what you see on TV, what you hear on the ground from the row of reporters and all the independent journalists, the ones who have really gone out there and made it a part of uh, a huge component of their life to report on the border situation. Just understand this. Whatever you're seeing and hearing, know in your heart of hearts, it's so much worse uh, once they get behind closed doors into these camps, once they're on, you know, public transportation, whether it be planes, trains, or automobiles, oh. and are getting distributed throughout the country, and once they get into neighborhoods all across America, that's when the real rewards that the Biden administration wants to give all the American people for their support of sanctuary cities and and not wanting to hold Alejandro Mayorkas accountable really starts to to hit at home. You know, there's been so many reports lately of, of violence stemming from migrants, uh, people knocking on doors and robbing houses, uh, you know, trying to take over and provide security for neighborhoods that they lived in, like all of the mafia back in the 80s. It's just kind of gotten out of control. And when you really start to, to break this down. It shouldn't be as hard as it has to be. Yes, the immigration system itself needs to be completely broken down and reformed. I personally think and am a fan of that starts and ends with an immigration moratorium. I mean, outside of the most extreme cases of people seeking asylum to absolutely shut it down. We don't need more uh 
you know, low scale laborers. We don't need no more visa lotteries. We don't need no more people coming up and knocking on the door at the U.S. southern border and at the northern border and asking for asylum who are economic migrants. The invasion needs to stop and it needs to be put on hold, I would say, for at least anywhere between two to five years. I think that combined with Donald Trump and uh, former acting ICE director Tom Holman teasing the largest deportation operation in the history of the galaxy on the other side of Donald Trump winning the election in November, then we could start to talk about comprehensive immigration reform. Because at this point, and with all the people that Joe Biden have let in, up to right now, you're talking north of 35 million people in this country who are potentially going to get amnesty and a pathway to citizenship and what that could do to our education system, our voting system, the workforce here in America. There isn't a, the healthcare system, obviously. There's not a, a facet of American independence that this won't affect and wreck moving forward unless. Republicans are strong enough to stand up to this in the face of, of what is starting to look like immigration-wise, our darkest hour. Peter Ducey and John Kirby got back and forth with each other this morning up in the White House press pool. I mean, KJP obviously didn't field any questions. She just kind of deflected and moved on. They, they obviously cut it short, but I thought this exchange between the Fox News White House correspondent and Admiral Kirby was a decent one. Let's check it out. Thank you, John. Uh, why are you guys making it easier for people to enter the country illegally? <laughs> I believe we are. Why do you think we are? Well, you guys sued to cut razor wire that was put in place by Texas officials. So that the Border Patrol could actually do their jobs, but keep going. Well, you won in court, so now what? The Border Patrol Union president is saying the Supreme Court's decision is going to undoubtedly encourage more illegal immigration. Do you guys know better than the Border Patrol Union? The Border Patrol needed access, and that's why we sued to get rid of that uh, razor wire, so that they could do their job. Complete and total utter bullshit. Oh, scissor me timbers! I asshole. Can't stand that motherfucker. Here's the thing, and you hear that... John Kirby harping on the Border Patrol. Remember, the chief of the Border Patrol is a presidentially appointed position. So Joe Biden took whoever, whatever retard sucked enough dick to get into a position where they could be the chief of the Border Patrol. That's who's currently heading the organization. And then Peter Ducey referenced the Border Patrol Union. That's the union who represents the officers on the ground, the one that have been abused unrelentlessly since Joe Biden took office, the ones who have seen suicide rates in the last three years spike to more to where over the last three years, more Border Patrol agents have killed themselves in suicide than have in the 10 years previous to when Joe Biden took office, to where you've seen the attrition rates and, and the retention rates in the Border Patrol and all throughout the Department of Homeland Security, all of those frontline officers and officials who are down there just walking away from longstanding careers, 10, 15, maybe even close to or over 20 years on the job saying, you want to know what? I'm going to wind up dead anyway if I keep you know working around all these people in this intense conditions, these unmitigated overtime assignments that were being distributed all amongst us and the fact that we're being exposed to the diseases of the third world. Because remember, all of these people are, are coming in right now. None of them are getting screened. So that's why you're seeing spikes in TB. You're seeing spikes in measles and mumps and all of these other diseases like fungal infections that are known from like the eastern coast of Africa now springing up in places like Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. So weird. Only in those places, but now getting spread all over the United States. 
And it's because of these bullshit policies. It's because of the people, like the Border Patrol chief, who the president appoints, is going to go and speak on behalf of him while the people on the ground and the union that represents them is saying this has just gone too far. So, you know, that's kind of the back and forth we see within the media. It's the same we see between House Republicans and the Biden administration, not so much Mitch McConnell up in the Senate. It seems like he's on board with whatever James Langford and, and Chuck Schumer wants to do. But at the end of the day, we're, we're going to continue to track this and follow it the best we can. We're going to see. I know up to this point we've got just a few updates. Chuck Schumer came out during this segment uh, and, and spoke before a gaggle of reporters saying that the border immigration negotiations are still ongoing and he continues to take shots at House Republicans. Here's a quote from Senator Schumer. That's the majority leader up on the Democrat side. We have the obligation now to tune out the hard right chaos and let the negotiators finish their work. That's him referencing the Supreme Court decision. Thanks, ACB, yesterday for that shit vote, giving Chuck Schumer all the ammo he needs to kind of take it to House Republicans in their attempt to try and do anything to get some security down the U.S. southern border. But, thankfully so, it looks like Greg Abbott and Ken Paxson hopefully will be filing an appeal if applicable. However, we just got some live footage sent to us from from down on the southern border and the debated area where now they're saying... uh, the Department of Homeland Security can begin to remove the razor wire, and it looks like the Texas National Guard and DPS and all the other collaborating agencies down there are putting up the razor wire and making it 10 feet higher. So we're going to kind of leave it at that. We'll check in on this on our Friday editions of the show. We're getting ready to jump in with Virginia Congressman Ben Klein, but before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. Joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's a congressman representing Virginia's 6th Congressional District. Always happy to be sitting down with Representative Ben Klein. Welcome back to the show. Hey, great to be with you guys. Well, we've got a bunch of stuff we'd like to touch on with you today, Congressman. Also, uh, you know, some late breaking developments that we saw yesterday outside of the Supreme Court, which we're going to tie it into. But uh, first off, let's let's start in the budget. You know, we, we, we saw some negotiations a few weeks ago, some announcements from the Biden White House and Chuck Schumer. We, we kind of had a little bit of pushback from Mike Johnson over the course of the next 10 days. But you know, heading into this week, we're still kind of questioning what's going on. Obviously, we signed a continuing resolution that funds the government through March. It doesn't seem like it satisfies just about anybody in the Republican caucus uh, because it continues the, you know, COVID level, Pelosi level spending and all of the things that Republicans have been working to kind of get rid of. And uh, we'd like to get the latest from you on the budget battle. Yeah, it is. It is frustrating. Uh, you know, uh, the speaker is doing the best with the hand he's dealt. He was dealt a pretty bad hand by the outgoing speaker. And uh, I am disappointed that we weren't able to uh, get the Senate to actually uh, produce, you know, spending uh, bills in real time and regular order. 
Uh, instead, they like to just avoid responsibility, wait, and then load up giant omnibus or minibus spending bills and, and force them through. Uh, you know, we are going to fight to reject these Pelosi levels of spending. Um, and, and I think there was a, a large number of Republicans who uh, joined me in, in rejecting the idea of a continuing resolution, continuing these Pelosi level spending uh, amounts and, and all of the riders that come with it. And hopefully we'll be able to turn the corner and reject a lot of these and, and reduce spending, which is what the American people want and what a majority of members of Congress want. Congressman, why is it every time we're getting ready to vote on another continuing resolution, there seems to be a, a pretty steadfast delegation of House Republicans who will go on every single cable news channel that will allow them to and say, hey, listen, nobody likes overspending. Nobody likes the continuing resolution in omnibuses. But here it is at the end of the day. If we don't vote for it, then you're just not funding the military. Now, there is a little bit of factuality in that. However, if we're ever going to be able to get over this hump and break the trend, which has been going on, quite frankly, for decades, we're going to have to get back to, you know, feeling a little bit uncomfortable and, and start really changing things up if we're ever going to see, you know, let's just say anything from single bill spending to trimming out a lot of that fat that we saw added to the budget during the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the argument that you can't start new uh, Defense Department build programs when uh, you have continuing resolutions. And that's why you're uh, oper that's what you're operating under. But we have to actually uh, break away from a lot more than uh, just the idea that uh, we need to start building new ships or new carriers, we actually have to break away from these Pelosi uh, spending levels and these uh, amazing liberal, uh, just destructive riders that we're seeing in these appropriations bills that are uh, being continued under continuing resolution. So, uh, you know, I, I don't like continuing resolutions, but uh, I, I have to reject the status quo as well. And we have got to uh, figure out a new way to move forward uh, that that unites Republicans rather than divides us. No, I, I will admit, though, it seems like for the work you guys have done and for those who have come on board in, in kind of reducing the spending eventually and getting these single subject appropriation bills done, I'll admit you guys have set yourself up for the next session of Congress to hit the ground running much earlier in the year. It's not going to be like we're heading into the last four months of the congressional calendar and to the holidays to where we're like, well, I guess we should start working on these appropriations. It seems like you guys are laying the groundwork for it. We know this is a process as well here on the show. I mean, it's easy to just you know provide negative commentary on the job that some people don't think you guys are doing. But at the end of the day, if you look at the generational changes in Congress that's happened over the last session, session and a half, it's probably more than a decade's worth of work. And it's kind of set you guys up for the future as well. Congressman, I do want to parlay this into something that ties hand in hand with the budgetary matters, and that's border security. I mean, we've seen it kind of go to hell over the course of the last couple of years. Much more so in the last few months, you know, right after you guys got out of holiday break, you saw the Biden administration roll out Alejandro Mayorkas. He went to committees. He was very defiant. Then he went on all the cable news shows and promoted the job that he's doing. He put a lot of the blame on Congress, stood up for what's going on. And then he kind of went down to the border and said, like, hey, you want to know what? He essentially is daring you guys to do something. I mean, you guys did pass H.R. 2 seven months ago. 
You send it up to the Senate where Chuck Schumer essentially said it's DOA. I still think it's a pretty big bargaining chip for you guys and, and the way immigration policy needs to be reformed moving forward. But what's the latest on some of the negotiations? Because, listen, Joe Biden is really complaining about uh, the lack of money that you guys are giving out to Ukraine and setting aside for Taiwan, sending to places like Israel right now. And uh, at some point, we're going to have to use that negotiation chip to kind of get the ball rolling. Well, I, I think the problem is uh, the Biden administration, the president wants a lot of money for Ukraine, uh, and he thinks that more money at the border is the solution instead of significant reforms like we had in HR2. You know, you've got to reform the parole system. You've got to end uh, this release, uh, just catch and release system that we have, restore, remain in Mexico. And tighten up our asylum laws. You know, everybody wants to come to America because we're the richest country on earth. We're the land of opportunity. We get that. But that's not grounds for asylum. And asylum is when you're trying to escape a war, when you've been targeted for uh, killing over your race, religion, ethnicity. And uh, that's just not what we're seeing right now at the border. So Mayorkas has to go. He's got the laws in place. He uh, refuses to enforce, but also is misinterpreting the laws and abusing them to encourage uh, millions to come across the border. We have over a million um, migrants coming across the border since Joe Biden took office. Uh, it's it's uh, amounting to uh, millions upon millions, and uh, it's got to end. No, it certainly does. And, you know, the uh, you guys have set a date for bringing an Alejandro impeachment to the floor. Is that correct? Uh, my understanding is that the uh, security committee, the um, committee led by Mark Green, is going to be marking up articles of impeachment when we get back. Uh, then I would anticipate the Judiciary Committee receiving that report from Chairman Green and uh, reporting those articles to the floor. And then as a member of the House Freedom Caucus, we've had quite a few of you guys on the show the last couple of weeks. Eli Crane, Bob Good, uh, Ralph Norman will be joining us again next week. You guys are, are not really too enthused on the Langford-Schumer negotiated border bill. To us, the way we kind of break it down, you start to look in between the numbers. It looks like it's pre-amnesty, which we felt was the last big legislative item that Joe Biden would want to push as part of his first term in office. And uh, it, at least as far as the House Freedom Caucus goes, doesn't seem like that uh, resonates too well with you guys. No, I respect Senator Lankford for taking uh, taking this attempt uh, at, at getting a deal. But it, I told him personally, uh, don't be afraid to walk away from a bad deal. And, and what we're hearing is that there is a, a deal shaping up that looks pretty bad. Uh, in terms of immigration reform, but very, very few concrete reforms that are going to result in fewer migrants at the border and making sure that they don't end up in the interior of the country on work permits, waiting for their family to come, waiting for uh, court hearings that are years away and eventually vanishing into the uh, sub economy that we have. So we, we definitely need to push for a better deal. Uh, I get that the president wants his money for Ukraine, uh, but uh, he's got to give more than he's getting. Yeah, and right now we're, the American people are getting nothing. You're seeing as much with the uh, ruling from the Supreme Court yesterday, which, I mean, the, the White House press conference is going on right now, and they're asking John Kirby if, they, if he thinks razor wire secures the United States southern border, and he's like, well, frankly, our administration does not, and that's why we've asked the Supreme Court to help us remove it. And, and it's just kind of a joke at this point what, what's going on down there with the border security. Alejandro Mayorkas has probably been 
I mean, there's a lot of all-stars in this Biden administration, the worst cabinet selection in the history of our republic. And uh, moving forward, hopefully he'll be able to be held to account. You know, he, he ran into a lot of the same problems when he was the head of CIS. Uh, it, it seems it's pretty interesting is the, the son of former immigrants who escaped communism twice to be able to be the head of Homeland Security and run it in such a fashion. It's, it's like mind-blowing to us here on the show. I'm sure it, it's kind of the same to you, Congressman. It's very sad. And as Reagan said, it only takes one generation to forget uh, about the uh, the freedoms that we have and the, the price that was paid by uh, generations before us. So uh, we, we definitely have to remind the American people uh, the importance of those freedoms and how we have to pass laws and ensure that our leaders uh, are working to secure them and for future generations. Oh, that's the truth. All right, let's move on a little bit. There's a couple other things. I mean, you're on appropriations and budgetary, so I'm glad we were able to get that commentary on you. Very important for our listenership to hear on what's going on in Congress right now. But you also sit on the Judiciary Committee as well, and it seems like we've got some developments moving forward in regards to the investigations into Hunter Biden and the impeachment inquiry for Joe Biden as well. Yeah, it looks like we're getting some cooperation from Hunter's lawyers. They don't want him to be held in contempt. Uh, and and we were moving in that direction, but we're going to hold off as long as he cooperates and comes in for a deposition. So it looks like we're uh, in the final stages uh, when it comes to depositions. We're uh, talking to James Biden. We're talking to a number of the other business partners uh, to just uh, find out exactly where the money is coming from and where it's flowing uh, to the Biden family, to the president himself, and uh, we'll be looking to move shortly thereafter. I think Mayorkas is going to move first, but uh, hearings in the Judiciary Committee on, on the findings uh, of the Weaponization Committee and, and uh, uh, the Judiciary and Oversight Committees are, are going to be coming soon. Now, we're not asking for any commentary on levels of guilt, you may feel, or, or this, that, or the other thing, Congressman, but just based off the fact on how the investigation has gone so far, first into the business dealings and then into the possible impeachable offenses for, for Joe Biden. As a member who sits on one of the three committees who are, who are overlooking this right now, do you feel that there is definitely a there there when it comes to the connectivity tissue that Jim Jordan and, and James Comer and, and some of the others, Jason Smith, have been able to produce so far in moving this investigation along? Well, absolutely. You have the the payments uh, to Hunter Biden, you absolutely have the distribution of money uh, through these shell companies to James Biden, and then uh, a portion of which um, a percentage for the big guy to Joe Biden himself. And, uh, you know, there doesn't have to be shown uh, for purposes of federal law uh, that the president himself benefited financially. Uh, if your immediate family is enriched through bribery from uh, others, then that constitutes bribery for purposes of, of federal uh, law. And uh, so you do have pretty significant links that are being established right now through these through the information that's coming out. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes along. There's obviously, I feel like, plenty of evidence to kind of link these things up. But the way you guys have methodically gone through this, I think it's the correct way. In the last session of Congress, when obviously Nancy Pelosi was running up uh, impeachments against President Trump, it seems like there was a narrative that was created in the media. And the next thing you know, she's walking article of impeachment through the Capitol Rotunda. I don't think that's really the way our republic survives. And, and for you guys to start off with just a, you know looking into the facts and then open up the full investigation before you even to consider going into impeachment, I think that's probably the best way to do it. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's it's obviously the 
day of the New Hampshire primary. We did a nice little preview in our first edition of the show today. Have you been tracking the race and, and seeing the way this is shaped up? And uh, if you care to provide commentary, do you have a horse in the race? Well, I've endorsed Donald Trump. I think we need to reject the past three years of the Biden administration, return the greatness that we saw, the strength of our economy, uh, the strength internationally, uh, the peace through strength that we saw around the world. And, uh, you know, the families across the country and in the 6th District of Virginia remember how low inflation was, how uh, interest rates, mortgage rates were, were low, how uh, prices at the grocery store and at the pump were low because we had energy independence. Uh, and, and so they want to get back to that. And so they uh, support Donald Trump. And so do I. Yeah, it seems like uh, it seems to be the messaging that's that's getting a little bit bigger every single day we move forward here during the primary season that's officially kicked off we'll have our first results tomorrow morning so congressman this has been awesome seeing down with you again today obviously we'll be looking to catch up with you at some point in february but we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description everybody can check out the great job that you're doing up there on capitol hill anybody that wants to check you out on social media where can they find you uh rep.ben.klein is uh, the uh, instagram twitter facebook and uh look forward to catching up with folks as we continue the fight for freedom this guy represents Virginia 6 up on Capitol Hill. But as you've heard, he's fighting for all the American people. Representative Ben Klein, thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a great rest of the week. Hey, thanks. You too. He needs President Trump. His leadership of peace through strength made the world a safer place and made the U.S. more prosperous. You all know that. We all know that. And that's why you're all here tonight. But as I said at the beginning... We're here at a spot right now where tomorrow this primary race can be over. You're going to see tonight, you're going to see tonight that former rivals, people that were running for president, lining up behind President Trump. By Wednesday, this primary race should be over. You send the strong message on Tuesday. We're going to be united as a party, and on Wednesday we can start working on getting Joe Biden out of the White House. And it's not just the nation that's watching, the entire world, every foreign leader, every foreign country, every terrorist group is watching to see how New Hampshire votes tomorrow. And when you vote to put Donald Trump back in the White House and make America great again, they're going to be listening. So thank you, New Hampshire. Thanks for doing your job. Get out there tomorrow. We'll see you in the voting. On behalf of Catherine and I, way to go, New Hampshire. All right, jumping back into the news portion of our show. This is the back end of two all-new editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast today. want to just quickly mention that it was great catching up with Congressman Klein. Listen, someone who sits on the Freedom Caucus and all of the committees that he's a part of, judiciary, appropriations, and budgetary up on Capitol Hill, you're not going to get too much more of an insider angle on what's really going on up to the minute-wise. And speaking of up to the minute-wise... The New York Young Republican Club president, Gavin Wax, will be joining us on the back end of this new segment right now. He's getting ready to head up to New Hampshire, be with President Trump and all supporters tonight, um, hopefully for a big resounding victory, and we'll get the latest on the campaign from him as well. What you heard there was North Dakota governor and former presidential candidate Doug Burgum making his case to rally around the 45th president as he is now in the midst of his first primary election of the 2024 season today. And Donald Trump made his final pitch in New Hampshire last night at the the Margate Resort in Laconia, New Hampshire, where he was flagged by all of the people who have been 
hanging out with him on the campaign trail up in the Granite State this week. Obviously, Elise Stefanik, Matt Gates, Lee Zeldin, Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Marjorie Taylor Green, Byron Donalds was there last night as well. We tried to get everybody throughout the course of different segments, even though they've all been with him on the campaign trail, to kind of give you a different taste and flavor of how they were stumping for 45 throughout the course of the weekend up until today. So right now we're going to check in with Vivek Ramaswamy, who was with Doug Bergman, took on the stage right after him as well. Let's hear the former presidential candidate and person most likely to give you a free Slurpee when you buy five. I love you back. It's good to be back here. We will... Speak the truth and get this done. We are in the middle of a war in this country. It's not between black and white or even between most Democrats and Republicans. It is between those of us who love this country and a fringe minority who hates the United States of America and what we stand for. Between the permanent state and the everyday citizen. And right now we need a commander in chief who will lead us to victory in this war. That is this man standing right here. If you want to seal the border, vote Trump. If you want to restore law and order in this country, vote Trump. If you want to defeat the deep state, vote Trump. If you want to fight inflation, vote Trump. If you want to revive national pride in this country, vote Trump. If you want to revive our national identity in this country, vote Trump. If you want to make America great again, vote Trump. That's how we're going to win this in a landslide in November. Like Reagan delivered in 1980, that's what we're going to deliver and Donald Trump is going to deliver this November. Reunite this country. You guys do your part. Come out on Tuesday night. End this primary right here. Off to defeat Joe Biden in November. And our best days as a nation are still yet ahead of us. Vote Trump and that's how we do this. God bless you and your families and our United States. Vote. And you want to know what? I think uh, Vivek makes a really good point there. End this primary tonight. Get out and vote for Donald Trump in New Hampshire. And here's the deal. Just based off what the numbers look like in places like Nevada, which is next, and you have South Carolina and Michigan before Super Tuesday, if I was the Trump campaign, which is already, I would say, about 85%-ish segued towards the general election campaign and you know set their sights and, and targets, for the most part, on Joe Biden and his horrible legislative agenda, his, his awful administration, etc., once tonight is over and we get over the finish line with a big W, Either the Trump campaign, the way I see it, they should just pretend. If Nikki Haley doesn't want to get out and she wants to ride this shit to South Carolina and get out right before then and do the right thing, fuck her. They should just pretend that she doesn't even exist, treat her like she's just a non-entity in this campaign, let her be like a skinnier, more Indian version of Chris Christie whenever she, oh, Donald Trump won't debate me, and he knows that I'm a threat, and this, that, and the other thing. Fuck her. You know, there's too much at stake here, and, and you're seeing the way it's, it's kind of shaken out in the House of Representatives, which is the only place where we have any kind of a majority as far as the power structure goes up in D.C., we waited too long to really push back, and now we've backed ourselves into a corner. And you don't ever want to see campaigns do that where they continue to have to take meaningful shots at, at a primary competitor just for the sole reason that they won't get out of the fucking race. And we have to be able to all be okay with 
after the New Hampshire primary, if Nikki Haley and, and the billionaire donor class and Rupert Murdoch and all these other idiots everywhere don't want to go and have her get out of the race to simply just pretend that she doesn't exist. Because when you look at the next two primaries and heading up into Super Tuesday, it's not like she does vote-wise anyways. So Byron Donalds was also with Donald Trump last night. He was stumping hard for 45 and has been out on the campaign trail. He was, I guess, (laughs) happy to see all the snow out in Iowa last week, and uh, it's not much warmer, definitely not like it is in Florida up there in New Hampshire, but uh, he was definitely promoting that America First agenda and saving the country. Let's hear it. We have a blessed nation. America is the greatest thing man has ever created. And the only thing greater than America itself is the very people that inhabit this nation, like the good people here in New Hampshire. And I'm telling you from Florida and every city I've been to, we're going to save America. I'm telling you, it's not just Republican voters, it's independent voters, it's minority voters. We're going to put Donald Trump back in the White House. He's going to be the 45th president and the 47th president, and we're going to make America great again. God bless you, New Hampshire. Get out and vote, New Hampshire. And God bless America. Very well loved and received by the America First community. You know, Byron Donalds has been a rising star within the party and and in the America First movement. And when you just talk about bright futures as someone who's unwaveringly supported Donald Trump throughout the entirety of his presidency, they might not have seen eye to eye on some things in the past like uh, criminal justice reform. But I think Donald Donald Trump has really shown Byron Donalds like this populist agenda and the return to nationalism and the lack thereof that there is in this country right now is really where the starting point is to get legislatively a lot of the things passed to get, you know, everyone getting safe in their communities again for people to have great educations and schools that they choose to have a healthcare system that works for everybody and not just for the extremely poor and extremely wealthy. And, and then all of the, the normal topics, obviously the economy, geopolitics, I'm talking about peace through strength and, and the security or lack thereof on the U S Southern border. So you got to hear everybody pretty much that was out with president Trump this week. And this weekend leading up into the New Hampshire primary today, uh, people are voting right now. If you're listening to this in the car or when you're getting ready to get off work, make sure you get out and vote. We're going to jump into a couple more excerpts as we're getting ready to wrap our second of two all-new editions of the podcast today from President Trump's speaking event last night. One of the ones I know is Noah's favorite uh, item that he's added to the Agenda 47 was Iron Dome over the United States. I mean, listen, Tony Stark said it himself. He wanted to put a suit of armor around the planet, and and they didn't. Look what happened with Thanos. I think Donald Trump sees the possibility of not only threats coming from places like Russia, North Korea, or maybe even Iran in their quest to obtain and develop a nuclear weapon, but maybe from the interstellar areas of everything. Listen, Everybody else outside of Donald Trump did run in the fake multiversal primary underneath him throughout the course. So why wouldn't the multiverse contribute to a greater threat coming from outside of our solar system? Who knows it, but he was touching on the Iron Dome and and a better way to support and save our country. Let's hear it. Well, build an Iron Dome over our country, a state-of-the-art missile defense shield made in the USA. We do it for other countries. 
We help other countries. We build. We don't do it for ourselves. We need it, too. You know, Reagan proposed that many years ago, Star Wars. He, he proposed it many, many years ago, but at that time, there was no technology. It was just like it looked good. But we have unbelievable technology. We shoot them down. I've seen so many things. I've seen shots that you wouldn't even believe. Missile launched. Miss, they go, missile launched. And you hear a bell go. I mean, I see this. I like. It's so incredible. And these guys, these geniuses, they go, these are not muscle guys here. They're muscle guys up here, right? And they calmly walk to a seat. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> They've only got 17 seconds to figure this whole thing out, right? Boom. Okay. Missile launch. Pshin, boom. It's the most un... And we don't have it here. But we help other countries in having it. No, we're going to have the greatest Iron Dome. Let's call it Iron Dome. Anywhere in the world. And it's going to be manufactured. A lot of it right here in New Hampshire, actually. Come to think of it. Definitely good to hit up all those potential voters with the pitch of uh, prospective employment on the other end of Donald Trump winning back the White House. And, you know, all joking aside, you do want to have some kind of listen the united states is fucking huge and and the amount of weaponry it would take to have i guess iron dome capabilities over the united states would be massive this would be the biggest defense project in the history of our country if not the world by a lot and i think just to listen when he started teasing things like space force everybody kind of made a joke about it and even though under the biden administration there are some like furries and uh, guys that wear ass cheekless chaps heading the agencies now and it has become a little bit of a joke but donald trump did create another branch of the military something that again like a lot of the things he was able to do no one thought he was going to be able to complete he also touched on the united federation of police officers giving him a huge endorsement and i think uh when you look at how the amount of law enforcement in our country has changed just since donald trump i mean listen going all the way back to barack obama's first term in office that is when the attack on the police community really began that's when you know Barack Obama made it a thing about race and and what it's turned into now is just, I don't need to explain it. Everybody sees it every day, not only in their own communities, but all the time on TV and all of the DEI shit that they try to feed you and like commercialing and marketing and stuff like that. So Donald Trump getting endorsements of, you know, the, these police organizations and unions is huge. Normally they try to stay out of the race until there's a nominee. Sometimes they just endorse for the general election, but for as much as police fire EMS across the country has been beat up, demonized and literally attacked by its own citizens over the course of, especially the last couple of years under the Biden administration. And definitely since the summer of love, it's good to see that these guys getting back behind Donald Trump. Let's hear him speak on it. Is also honored to be endorsed today by the United States Federation of Police Officers, the largest law enforcement union in New England. And I want to ask Jerry Flynn, please, if you would come up. Jerry, could you come up? Uh, Jerry has been great. And Tom Daly is here someplace. Tom is a powerful man. Come here, man. I'll be real quick, but in... 2008 to 2016, there was what was created by Barack Obama and Joe Biden called the War on Cops. Correct. It was the worst time for a professional police officer in the history of law enforcement. 2016, Donald J. Trump became the law enforcement president, and we had four great years with him, 
and we need those four years back. We were happy to be the first law enforcement agency to endorse them in 2015, and we're proud. The United Federation of Police Officers and the New England Police Benevolent Association is proud to stand with the law and order president, Donald J. Trump. Love to hear it. Listen, we need more of it. You want to talk about safety and security throughout this country, but we're lacking on our U.S. southern border right now is exactly what we're also lacking in our neighborhoods across this country as well. And to see uh, police unions and, and organizations want to get behind Donald Trump. I mean, listen, every time this guy goes to an event, we all follow Donald Trump on social media. We all follow Jason Miller and Chris LaCivita and Stephen Chong and Dan Scavino and all the gals, you know, and they see all the videos they put out, the motorcades and what goes into getting Donald Trump to and from events. But, you know, before and after he gets on the plane, he always makes sure with whoever is out there is getting either MAGA hats or photo opportunities with him. And it's not because... He wants to look good around cops. It's because he appreciates the job that they do. And for all the good ones out there, I'm, I'm sure there are tons who have felt like over the course of the last decade or so that they've just kind of, it's it's not as uh, lucrative as a job as, as you would think it might have been just a few short years ago. I mean, all it takes is one person to videotape something for the court of public opinion to find somebody guilty, especially in some instances where there was no fault. And at times people were in policy. And I think Donald Trump understands that he he's talked about, you know, getting uh, national regulations for police back on the books to make sure that they're safe and secure. Listen, these people all go home to families as well. So I think it's, it's, it's very important to just track these endorsements that Donald Trump keeps scooping up, especially from the organizations like, nationally uh, renowned police ones that he's getting right now. So getting ready to wrap here and jump into Gavin Wax, I do have one more. We play it every single time the guy has a speaking event. And of course, this is classic closeout in the final pitch to New Hampshire voters from last night in Laconia, New Hampshire. Let's hear it. We are one movement, the greatest movement in the history of our country. One people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, New Hampshire. God bless you all. God bless you all. Thank you. Go out and vote. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. And of course, he hit the Trump dance after that. But here's the thing. You want to talk about the pitch that was made throughout the weekend. You want to talk about the people who are now on board with publicly supporting Donald Trump and getting out there on the campaign trail with him. You want to talk about the endorsements that continue to come in on a daily basis. You want to think about the irregularity of this election cycle. Remember, it's only happened once with Grover Cleveland, where you have a non-incumbent incumbent running again. And his race and his platform is a direct contrast to what we're getting over the course of the last three, what will be almost four years by the time we go to the ballot box in November. You have to make the case that Donald Trump has presented himself to the American people as the best alternative for what we've got now, which was, one, a rigged and stolen election, and two, Joe Biden, the worst administration in the history of our republic. So 
that's kind of where we're at on the campaign trail. We're obviously going to have full coverage, including the final results from the New Hampshire primary. I believe uh, we said that Donald Trump was going to end the day a little over 51%. So we'll have to fact check me and see how my uh, non-scientific polling skills are going to be on Friday as well. We're getting ready to jump in with the president of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax. But before we do, let's check in one more time with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com That's MyPatriotCigars.com A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Alright, joining us next on the show today this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast he's the 76th president of the New York Young Republican Club. He's also the executive director at the National Constitution Law Union and author, one of our most esteemed guests, Mr. Gavin Wax. Welcome back to the show. Thank you guys for having me. It's always great to be on Steak for Breakfast. Great to host you anytime we can catch up with you, Gavin. So it's Election Day in New Hampshire, uh, the first primary of the year following the Iowa caucus and, and Donald Trump, based off the final polls that came out over the last 24 hours, looks to be on path to a big victory in the Granite State. We know that you track the Trump campaign and everything that's going on with the 45th president just as much as we do here on Steak for Breakfast and, and want to get some of your insight onto how this is all shaping up right now. Listen, I think uh, this is going to be a massive win, another one for the history books. Uh, you know, uh, Nikki Birdbrain, Haley doesn't stand a chance. The field has consolidated around President Trump with the uh, announcements of uh, first Vivek dropping out, then Ron DeSantis. All of these things were uh, great to consolidate the anti-neocon uh, base and faction, which is frankly the vast majority of the Republican Party. And in addition, having the massive win that was the Iowa caucuses, you know, gives it a bit of a morale boost, creates some momentum, and uh, it projects us forward. Uh, and that's what we're seeing on the ground in New Hampshire. We're seeing a lot of enthusiasm. We're seeing a lot of energy. And I think uh, President Trump has this in the bag. And I think right now it's not a matter if he's going to win. It's going to be uh, what he wins by. Is it 51? Is it 55? Is it is it 60? We'll have to see, but I think it just goes to show that the Trump movement is ascendant and it's here to stay. Now, you made a really good point there that I want to touch with you on, Gavin. Throughout the part of the preseason of the presidential primary, and then that's you know everything leading up to the Iowa caucus, now we're in the regular season of the presidential primary. And when you look at the amount of people, I mean, obviously people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and – Politicians of that nature are going to be out. J.D. Vance stumping with the president wherever he goes, Byron Donalds. But now you're seeing, especially with the people who have gotten out of the race and, and, and have endorsed the president over the course of the last few weeks, I'm talking about South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, Lee Zeldin's back out on the trail with Donald Trump, and and you know even Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Chairwoman Stefanik as well. You're, you're seeing a lot more people, a very diverse group of Republicans, not everyone who might have been flag-waving MAGA in years past, rallying behind Donald Trump, I think because they know the objective at hand is to beat Joe Biden in November. And and at this point of where our republic's at right now, it's, it's pretty dire straits. Yeah, listen, I think uh, President Trump has been uh, magnanimous and is trying to unify the party and is trying to 
uh, you know, build the bridges that were going to need being built uh, to win and, and to, you know, win it all in, in November. Uh, you know, obviously some people, uh, some certain influencers, certain certain individuals are not exactly thrilled with that. But I think uh, the vast majority of Republican voters, regardless of who they supported in this primary, are going to rally behind President Trump. And I think the list of surrogates and endorsements and elected officials in the Republican Party that are getting behind President Trump grows bigger and more diverse by the day. It's certainly still a big tent. I think everyone uh, recognizes that President Trump is the leader of the Republican Party, and maybe they have some differences here and there on the margins, but overwhelmingly, uh, they support him over, of course, crooked Joe Biden. So uh, it's great to see. I think now is the time to come together. I'm hoping that this will be wrapped up after tonight, unless, you know, Nikki Birdrain Haley wants to embarrass herself in her home state of South Carolina. She wants to embarrass herself. She could be my guest, but we really should start shifting to the general election and uh, moving on with this primary season because it's all but over. And, you know, sometimes it's cliche to say that only Donald Trump can lead the saving of the United States. But when you look at some of the three biggest campaign issues, and obviously that's the economy, what's going on geopolitically with the, you know, all the foreign wars that are starting to heat up all over the planet and border security, after the very lackluster ruling by the Supreme Court yesterday, it seems that, like, at least from a legislative standpoint, at this point, it's not really too much of an argument to say maybe only Donald Trump can save certain components of the country, like the economy, like peace through strength, and especially border security. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, all the issues uh, that are facing this country are winning issues for President Trump and they're losing issues for Joe Biden. I mean, the border is a disaster. We're facing a unprecedented historical invasion of our southern border. Some of the largest numbers uh, of people ever crossing some of the largest you know, mass migration in human history. I mean, this is changing the very fabric of our society. It's overwhelming social services. It's leading to a depreciation of wages. It's eroding the culture. It's replacing Native American citizens. I mean, this is a disaster. I mean, that's just one problem of dozens that you can, you know, rattle off on from foreign affairs to domestic policy, to the economy, to inflation, to jobs, to crime, to corruption, to the institutional rot, you name it, to, to the issues on the culture, whether it's DEI and wokeism and this sort of, you know, radicalized, you know, Marxist agenda of the of the Democratic Party. I mean, the country is in dire straits right now, and it just goes to show that the polling that has consistently shown Trump up on the aggregate, up on the RCP aggregate against Joe Biden is there to stay, and it's based on real, uh, you know, actual uh, you know, fundamentals on the ground politically and electorally. And uh, I think the numbers are only going to get better. And I think he's in a much better position than he ever was uh, politically uh, compared to 2016 or 2020. And I think Joe Biden is in the weakest position uh, any incumbent could possibly be in and certainly one of the weakest incumbents in, in modern American political history. So 2024, or I guess we're already in 2024, but November is turning uh, is going to turn out to be one of the most uh, pivotal elections in, in our country's history. It's going to be uh, one for the books, and it's certainly going to change the dynamic and change the landscape of the country for uh, decades and generations to come. No, it's the truth. And and listen, w when your campaign has kind of went, dwindled down to Joe Biden has essentially Nikki Haley out campaigning for him to try and slow Donald Trump, although she's failing miserably at it. It says a lot for what the general election ticket's going to look like once Donald Trump locks up the nomination after Super Tuesday. Gavin, I do want to segue a little bit since we've got you on the show. It's a big day for you. I know that you recently, we've touched on it a couple times in, in the recent uh, 
appearances that you've had on Steak for Breakfast, that you and Troy Olson have put together quite a book that, that is now out. Uh, I'm expecting mine in the mail on Sunday, and that's called The Emerging Populist Majority. Uh, I, I think you can't look for an election cycle or a time period in our republic any better than now to have literature that comes out like this, Gavin. And I kind of want you to lay out a little bit about what went into this book and what it's about for our listenership. Obviously we'll be live linking in our show description to get everybody out there to support you as well. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was definitely a labor of love and the timing for the release couldn't be more perfect. You know, we're talking about emerging populist majority, this ascendant movement, this coalition, this new trajectory, these new trends in the Republican Party and the body and the, and the nation's body politic as a whole. It's all going to culminate tonight uh, with the uh, with the resounding victory of President Donald J. Trump. Uh, but listen, this is not a uh, necessarily the most red meat of books. This is a uh, this is a book about the the political science, about the history, about the numbers, about the trajectory of our country's uh, political landscape. It's a very technical book. Uh, it's a book for people that are very interested in learning about, you know, w- how we got to this point politically and electorally and where we're heading over the next generation. And I think our thesis is certainly holding up, uh, you know, as this primary has unfolded, it held up, you know, through the midterms, it's held up through a lot of uh, political events that have transpired since we first wrote the book. Uh, but this is definitely a book uh, that will be read and referenced, I believe, and I hope uh, for decades to come, because it outlines exactly a lot of the items and, and, and matters and, and things that we've discussed, not only on this episode, but on prior episodes about this sort of emerging uh, populist majority, use the title of the book, this um, political movement that swept President Trump into the White House that is sort of taking over you know, most of the Western world, which are facing a lot of similar problems as they pertain to you know, mass migration, uh, globalization and all the rest. And, uh, you know, as our country continues to descend, continues to deteriorate, continues to stagnate, uh, this populist movement is going to become uh, more and more, uh, you know, formidable and more and more articulated. And the infrastructure around it is going to be more developed uh, as a counterbalance uh, to this rotting elitism that sort of gutted our country uh, and sold it to the lowest bidder. So uh, this is a book that falls in the tradition of uh, uh, Kevin Phillips' uh, 1969, uh, The Emerging Republican Majority, which basically predicted uh, the rise of the Republican Party, starting with Nixon and going into the 1980s with Reagan, et cetera, and described uh, the changing dynamics, uh, both within the presidential races, but also congressionally and otherwise of the Republican Party, uh, broken down by regions and demographics, geography and all these different uh, ways to, you know, cut and splice and dice, uh, you know, the electoral science behind uh, these campaigns. So uh, if you're into that style of book, if you're into uh, learning more about where the country's heading uh, politically, uh, this is the book for you and came out today. Uh, my co-author, uh, Troy Olson, uh, an Iraq Army veteran, uh, you know, put a lot of uh, we put a lot of hard work into this book. Our forward is by the great Raheem Kassam. And uh, we're really looking forward uh, to selling as many copies as possible because we already want to do a second edition to fix up a few things. Oh, that's fantastic. And when you talk about that forward by the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Raheem Kassam, combined with you and, and Troy Olson, can't really beat that uh, for the angle that you guys are looking to, you know, kind of inform the American public with. And now, Gavin, when you talk about some of the big geopolitical friends of Donald Trump, uh, emerging ones like uh, Javier Malay down in Argentina, you've got... Obviously, Georgia Maloney out in Italy, and then one of Donald Trump's all-time favorite best friends, Viktor Orban, one of your friends as well, out in Hungary. And how their populist kind of pushback has 
really countered the narrative that we saw just as recently out at the World Economic Forum in Davos just about over a week ago. You know, it, it, it seems time that the, the world is craving this real kind of leadership. They're understanding that, you know, after decades of unmitigated migration and, and people being cast into essentially a caste system right now to where their money doesn't mean as much, if anything, in some places as it did before the, the downward spiral of the educational system here in the United States and across the globe, and, and, and that the global elites uh, and their attempt to massively erase history is what this populist rise and the embrace of nationalism is definitely what the world needs right now. Yeah, listen, I think this populist movement is a global movement. I mean, we've seen it, uh, I guess, originally in, in modern times with Brexit, kind of the precursor to the Trump movement here in, in the United States. But we're seeing it all over. And obviously, it comes in different shapes and sizes. And, and populism, you know, it's a style, but it's also a, a response to the conditions within these countries. You know, you see the populism of Javier Malay in Argentina takes a very different form than, say, the populism of Viktor Orban. You're comparing, you know, a, a post-communist country in Hungary with a country like Argentina, which, you know, I guess you could say was communist in some regards, but sure. it's coming out of a, a much different dynamic economically, culturally, demographically, etc. They're both populists in their own right, and they're both fighting against establishments, whether in Brussels or Buenos Aires or Washington or London, internationally, domestically, and they're bringing about real change for their countries, and they're they're fighting for the people, and, and the circumstances are different. Certainly the circumstances in Hungary and, and Argentina and elsewhere are very different from the United States, and that's why Trump's version of populism is unique and it's its own but there's still uh many shared threads across all these different movements and they're part of a larger uh pushback that's happening across across the broader western world which is experiencing a lot of the same kind of uh you know managed decline uh you know economically spiritually or otherwise that we've witnessed and uh you know sometimes we see a lot of similarities and a lot of overlap both in policy and rhetoric sometimes there are differences but we are recognizing this movement as uh, a singular movement at the end of the day. And it's something that does share a common fabric and common history uh, and common ideals in many ways. It's still largely a right wing movement, even though there is forms of left wing populism, which is probably uh, for another podcast. But Correct. it just goes to show that if you're paying attention to what's happening domestically, if you're paying attention to what's happening in the primaries here in these different state offices, you know, national offices, all these different elections, and you're paying attention to what's happening abroad, you can come up with a pretty clear idea of the direction uh, uh, that our political landscape is heading. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be victorious tomorrow or going to be, you know, in, in positions of power in two days or, or next year. But it means that the trajectory and the direction is strong and it's working towards the ultimate goal of real uh, of real, you know, populist governance and change in, in Washington or whatever other country you happen to be living in. So it's a long game. It's a long fight. Uh, we have to play this game like the left does. They don't look at this just one election cycle at a time. They look generationally. And if we're smart, we'll start viewing politics and uh, and governance in the same sort of you know long-term horizon. No, I think that's it right there, Gavin, and we're going to leave it at that. We've got a big victory to get tonight in New Hampshire, and we'll be looking forward to having you back on the show soon. Obviously, we always live league everything you've got going on. The, the New York Young Republican Club, the National Constitutional Law Union, will be putting your book in the show description as well. Why don't you tell our listenership where they can buy it and what your social media handles are? Well, thank you guys again. I'm going to 
New Hampshire right now, you can follow me at Gavin Wax. That's on X, Instagram, Facebook, and all the rest. You can check out my website at uh, GavinWax.com. There's a link there uh, to purchase the book. The book is available where all books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it. You can find it easily online, the emerging populist majority of hit shelves today. And uh, thank you guys for having me on, and I'm looking forward to the next episode of Steak for Breakfast. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Again, the book is The Emerging Populist Majority. The man is the president of the New York Young Republican Club, Mr. Gavin Wax. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of the week. You too, guys. Take care. Well, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I hate doing the show all by myself. There's so much work that goes into executively producing and having everything so it sounds good to you. However, I think I nailed it today, but I'm going to be in a lot better space on Friday when Noah's back with us. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear it now over 320 other editions of the show, it's pretty simple. Follow us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Definitely subscribe to us on Apple. Follow the show, hit the plus button, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, find us on social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, hit that notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. From the Center for Renewing America, Wade Miller, awesome segment sitting down with him for the first time. New York Young Republican Club President, Gavin Wax, always a pleasure to catch up with him. Former Chief of Staff at Capitol Hill, Jim Paff. Guy's a trove and a treasure of information. Always great having Jim on the show. And Virginia Congressman Ben Klein, one of our absolute favorites. You guys all helped make steak great again. Don't tell Noah. I've already got a banging lineup for Friday, but it might be going off the rails because I keep saying yes to every single person that comes on. Already scheduled, Ambassador Rick Rennell, former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, Congresswoman Victoria Sparts, maybe Monica Crowley, and maybe Elise Stefanik. So, as Donald Trump would say, stay tuned. Guys, on behalf of the pod team, get out and vote if you're in New Hampshire today. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks for listening, and take care. It was fun. There is no in you. Excuse me, ma'am, but I need it. Fuck you, you asshole! Oh, shit. Shit! Sue me, dickhead. What you been feeding this thing? Blondes. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here, Hauser. Look who's talking. Consider that a divorce. I have to hand it to you. That's the best mind fuck yet. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is.